Lord, we ask you to bless this time, God. As we look into your word, Lord, we uh, look to be strengthened by your word, instructed by your word, cleansed by your word, directed by your word. So, Lord, come Holy Spirit and do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, I'm going to um, give the teaching that I was going to give last week and didn't have the time. Many of you heard the testimony by Lynn and Dave Cushworth uh, at last week's meeting concerning their saga of seeing the Lord's grace work uh, through uh, many different points of resistance in order to bring their grandbaby uh, into the family. Um, it's kind of a... Um, I, I can't repeat it, obviously, all the details, but if you were here, you heard that, and uh, had to do with uh, them having to go to El Salvador, and uh, Dave and Lynn's son, and their Salvadoran uh, daughter-in-law, um, retrieving a baby that had been switched at birth in the hospital, so you all remember that, and so it was a, a real tale of God's grace, and uh, I want to... Um, I want to use that story as a kickoff to a series that we're doing here at the church, basically on how not to grieve or how not to quench the Holy Spirit. So there isn't a lot in the New Testament on that particular topic, but we thought it was something that maybe the Lord wanted us to explore, particularly as it seems worldwide, more and more, the church is moving into a time of new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's something new that is afoot in the kingdom of God. And it's not just in America, but we're hearing rumblings of lots of things happening all over the world. There's ongoing revival, and there's also new revival that is sparking up in uh, different parts of the world. So we thought it would be good to look at how, as we engage in what God is doing uh, going forward, that we do not quench, which means to put out the fire of, or grieve, which means to sadden the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at that, and, and it's, it's kind of my uh, duty today to, to kick it off. And what I wanted to talk about was something that's not specifically mentioned in Scripture as that which grieves or quenches the Holy Spirit, but it does do that because it's a sin against the Holy Spirit, and that is the issue of prayerlessness. So I wanted to weave what I was going to talk about today into the testimony that Lynn and, and Dave gave uh, last week. So I'll just have to count on your memory, and I'll try to bring to mind <laughs> some of the stuff that they said as well. Um, okay. And then what I really want to focus on is three principles of answered prayer. Um, we all need instruction, I think, probably ongoing and repeated instruction in how we can be more effective prayer warriors, right? We, we need to learn how to pray better. I can remember myself when I first came to the Lord a long time ago, um, back in 1969, in the summer of 69, in, a, in a, a supernatural way, the Lord grabbed hold of my life, and once I found out 
that Christianity was real, that God was real, then I became fascinated with this whole area of this Holy Spirit thing and prayer as a way to somehow access the, the power of heaven and see heaven come to earth. And it's really been a lifelong quest for me, so uh, it, it's, it's very important to, to me to, to grow daily and grow yearly in my understanding of how to become a more effective prayer. So we're going to talk about three different principles if we get to them today. Hopefully we'll get to one or two of them, maybe all three, in uh, how we can become effective prayers. Okay, so let's turn to the next slide if we could. So essentially, uh, not praying for others is a sin against the Lord. It grieves him. It saddens him. So we tend to think of God in impersonal terms sometimes. And we tend to think that, that he's a force or he's a power. He has force and he has power, but he himself is a person. He's an infinite person. He's infinite and he's personal. And he is a being utterly unlike us, and yet we are made in his image. And so there are commonalities between us and him. And, but but he, he grieves for things. And this was really an alien concept for me when I first came to the Lord and heard this kind of teaching that, that God is saddened over things that happen on the earth. But when you see that Jesus was the perfect representation of God and you saw his heart when he wept over Jerusalem or his heart when he stood before the grave of Lazarus and he wept, you could see that Jesus representing perfectly God in humanity uh, certainly grieved, felt sorrow. So it grieves the Lord when we don't pray. Now this, is a, this can be a convicting word. And in a sense, I think God wants it to be a convicting word. And so look at this quote by Samuel, or by, by the Lord in Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 23. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ceasing or by ending, by stopping my prayers for you. Now, in context, we need to understand this in order for, I think, the fullness of this, this word to come out. This was actually a response by Samuel to the people of Israel who begged Samuel not to stop praying for them. They felt that they were disqualified from the Lord hearing them because of their sin. So they said to Samuel, please don't stop praying for us. And Samuel responded by saying, as to your request, I will certainly not stop praying for you because to do so would be a sin against the Lord. And so it's important to understand this was an assignment. This was a particular assignment by the Lord to Samuel to pray for the people of Israel on a regular basis. And that's the sense I really want to bring to you guys this morning, to all of us. All of us are given assignments in prayer by the Lord. If you guys know my teaching on prayer that I bring to other churches and I've taught here before, I firmly believe that the kingdom of God, having been planted into the earth by Jesus, now is extended and spread through the earth 
by the faith-filled prayers of God's people, followed by action, but without prayer. It's prayer that's the trigger mechanism that brings heaven to earth. This is why prayerlessness is a sin against the Lord. This is why it's important. Now, what kind of prayerlessness? Well, in general, if we never pray, that's a prayerlessness that's not good. But particularly when there has been an assignment by the Lord given to us to pray for a particular situation. We're going to be talking a little bit more about this when we get to the third principle of prayer. But for every one of us, our prayer assignments are not all the same. I can remember, Jeff, uh, you and I, and Lynn, uh, years and years and years ago, back in the 70s or something, I think, we would gather in my living room every week, and we would pray consistently for the tearing down of the regime of Idi Amin in Uganda. Remember that? Now, some of you don't have any idea who Idi Amin of Uganda is. Probably most of you in the room. But a few of you may remember a very wicked dictator in Uganda. And for some reason, we had an assignment from the Lord given to us to pray consistently for the destruction of that regime. Those of you who know Nancy Purcell... She has an assignment from the Lord to pray for the destruction of the regime in North Korea and for the Christianization of that nation. So there are different assignments that God gives to different people. We're not all the same. Some of you have an assignment to pray for the salvation of certain people. And see, this is the way God's kingdom is extended. Wives, I believe you have a special assignment for your own husbands and families Uh, husbands, fathers, you have an assignment for your family. And wherever your responsibility lies, typically, and your influence in the world, typically that's where God will give you assignments. Now, when he does, that's when I believe this scripture kicks in, that it would be a sin against the Lord not to pray into that particular situation on a consistent basis because the Lord has given you that assignment. And I think that's the way it works. Okay, so I believe that then if, if God gives this to us and we drop the ball, we do not pray and do not carry through that prayer assignment, then I believe we're sinning against the Lord. We're grieving him. Okay, so turn to, now I want to talk about three principles of answered prayer. So we have prayer assignments that are given to us. So how can we pray effectively? Turn to the next slide, please. Principle number one is that we pray in the context of pre-existing, entrenched evil that is gripping the whole world minus the places where God's kingdom has come. All right? Now, this is something that if you read about prayer, you will not find taught on very much. But I have discovered in my own life, been at this thing now for, gosh, 40 years or more, but I have discovered that even if we individually don't want to recognize the presence of evil as a force in the world, evil recognizes us. 
And I've learned that the best thing I can do since I'm in a war is to choose to learn how to win. And we're given the tools to do that in Scripture. But the first thing we need is we need to recognize that we are living in a world that unless there has been Christian influence historically or is happening now that's come into a nation or a people group or a family or a city and establish outposts of righteousness, except for those points of light, there is evil that basically grips the world. And this is what the Kushwars discovered when they went to El Salvador. They discovered that there was bureaucratic evil. There was evil that was uh, in the governmental system, in the hospital system, in the uh, judicial system. And they discovered this opposition, this unseen opposition was pushing against what was just and what was righteous. And there's a scripture in 1 John 5, 19, that if we're going to be effective prayers, in my view, we need to know the truth of this. It's a very interesting scripture, and you may have memorized it if you've memorized it in a certain way, but we know that the whole world lies in, and then typically in New American Standard or in uh, NIV or other translations, you'll find the words lies in the power of, the control of, the influence of. But interestingly, in the original language, this verse reads, we know that the whole world lies in the evil one. Now that's a different concept than just to lie in the influence of evil. It actually lies in, it actually exists in, the evil one himself. In the same, it, it's similar. I thought about this and I thought, in the same way that we who have received Jesus Christ into our lives in a conscious, intentional act of surrender of ourselves and then receiving Jesus into our lives, we then are in Christ, right? We are in him. Somehow we've entered into a dimension of divine reality that is defined in Scripture as being in Christ. And in the same way, or a similar way, we know that the whole world lies in the evil one. Now, this is, this is important in terms of our praying. Now, I want, I want to really make this clear. When I, I last presented my... my um, I, I go around to various vineyards and I present um, workshops on the power of prayer and getting prayer into the church as a kind of a culture of prayer. And I was, I was led at one particular time to say, you know what, I think the Lord wants you all to know that as you're praying, and the people who were there wouldn't have been there if they weren't interested in how to pray, how to pray more effectively. And I said, have you ever considered this? That instead of always just praying, and you know, when, I don't want to minimize this because it's very biblical, instead of just praying for God to enter into a situation, pray first in Jesus' name, that the opposing power of evil would be removed. So pray the negative out and pray the positive in. And see, I think this is a perspective 
that many churches just do not teach with regard to prayer. They minimize the truth of this verse that everything we try to do as believers will be opposed by the enemy. Okay, so I would, I would suggest that. Okay, now, um, I, oh man, I want to tell you one story. Early on when I first got saved, which, which corresponded almost exactly to when I got married. I was a young believer, untaught in all this stuff. And we've said this before, haven't we, Lynn, to the church, that our first 10 years were a living hell. <laughs> Lynn shakes her head emphatically and says, amen. And the other 35 years was heaven. Wow. <laughs> About that. But those first 10 years were awful. It seemed like every attempt that I made to be loving and caring and what I should be, what I read in the Bible in terms of a Christian husband ought to be towards Lynn, couldn't do it. She tried to be towards me as she should, couldn't do it. And it it became so clear to me that there were unseen forces that were actively resisting the loving, caring, mutually supportive marriage that God wanted us to have. And when I began to pray... Probably both of us began to pray, but I can remember just speaking for me. When I began to pray specifically against the powers of the enemy that were trying to prevent what God had in mind for Lynn and me as a married couple and for extending the kingdom through us, then I noticed a definite change in the relationship and and, and God was then able to bring resources into our marriage that really helped us. And I will say also, when I've counseled certain married couples, and, and, and I've noticed the same sort of, it's almost something you, it, it's something you feel more than you can identify in an empirical way, but when you're counseling people, you feel there's this weirdness where they try to communicate and they're missing each other, you know? Communication is garbled, and, and I said, listen, before you attempt to talk to each other about serious things, both of you take authority over the power of the enemy that is resisting you right then. And it's not hard. Just say in Jesus' name, evil, get out. <laughs> or some words like that. But what you're doing is you're recognizing that before you can receive God's resources, there has to be a clearing away of the demonic rubble. And so this is very important. So, implication to this in terms of praying, okay, is number one, assume a blocking demonic influence that must be removed through prayer before the answer can come, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not up here just saying words for the sake of being flowery. <laughs> I really want you to change. <laughs> I really want you to do this. So you guys are thinking right now of situations in which you've been praying for God's intervention and there hasn't been a breakthrough. I want to urge you, the next time you pray for that situation, that you begin by taking authority over the power of the enemy that is working in that situation and saying, be gone in Jesus' name. All right? 
I want to suggest you do that. Then pray, God, will you come in in power and will you bring the kingdom of heaven into this situation? Okay? Remove the negative, bring in the positive. All right, so that's implication number one. Second implication is Ephesians 6.12. We struggle against demons, not people. Our struggle, says Paul, is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic powers of wickedness. So when you pray, remember to, again, pray against the powers of darkness that are operating in this situation. Pray against that. Don't pray against those, that evil spouse of yours or those evil children. Or those evil relatives, or whatever. Don't you know? You know you. You know how are we supposed to pray for the human beings we encounter? Blessing. We're to pray blessing. We're to speak blessing upon their lives. We're not to speak destruction on the human beings, are we? No. We are to speak destruction against the demonic forces that are gripping them. Okay. Principle number two. Next slide, please. Ask God for a clear understanding of his specific will in the situation you're praying into. And once that will is known, openly declare that will with confidence or with faith. Okay? Now, let's go back to the Cushworth testimony. Do you remember that Dave said that somebody gave a prophetic word to them regarding the situation with their grandson that the baby was going to be recovered and it was going to be for the glory of God. You guys remember that? Now, what was that? Well, that was God revealing his specific will to the Cushworths through a prophetic word. Now, sometimes the specific will of God will come through Scripture. We're reading, we're praying, we're asking the Lord to bring a scripture to mind that will declare clearly what his will is in the situation. But it could also come through a prophetic word. It could come simply as we're, you're, you're praying, you're asking the Lord, Lord, what is your will in this situation? Now, in many situations in life, the scripture clearly gives us revelation and understanding about his will. Let me say this to you. I really believe that... Do you believe that everybody, it is God's desire for everybody to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? you believe that? All right. So the word, the Bible says that in one of the books into Timothy, right? So we know that that is always God's will. So when the Lord puts on your heart Somebody in your family, let's say, who is unsaved, you don't have to say, God, is it your will that this person be saved? The fact is, you're given assignment. You have an assignment. I had an assignment for many years. You guys have heard me talk before. This is bothering me. I'm going to put it back here. You guys, <laughs> little obsessive compulsive thing coming out there. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> did it bother you too? It bothered me. In fact, the, uh, <laughs> you guys know I've told you, you before about my relationship with my dad. 
earthly land was not always the best, and <laughs> to say the least. But after I became a believer, that was one of the assignments in prayer the Lord gave me, to pray for that guy. It took me a while to look forward to spending eternity with him. (laughs) But hey, God changes us all. And so in our eternal existence, we will be purified. So anyway, I responded by the grace of God, to that assignment, and I prayed. And I prayed year after year after year for my dad to come to salvation in Christ Jesus. And less than a year before he died, months? A very few months months before he died, we had the privilege of seeing my daughter-in-law, my son's wife, and son Jason's wife, Darby, lead my dad to the Lord over in our house on one particular afternoon where he received Jesus Christ into his heart. And, and uh, it was incredible. I mean, for my dad, it was, it was, um, it was fascinating. He said to me, he, he'd been having, he was sick and he was having trouble sleeping, big trouble sleeping. And the day after he received Christ, he called me the next day, almost in tears. <laughs> and he said, you know, it's so amazing. What happened to me was so amazing. And I slept for the whole night through. And to him, that was a sign of the genuine nature of what he had experienced. And so I was able to speak at his funeral and talk about the fact that he had come into Christian salvation. But that was an assignment. And I, I had no doubt, and I prayed without doubt, that he would come to know the Lord. And I didn't look at the number of years that intervened because I was praying according to God's will. Okay. So it's very important to ask according to God's will. Um, now, let's go to the next slide. What are the implications here very quickly? Because we are made to co-create with him. We're made in his image. As he spoke his will into existence, so we do as well. Now, once we know God's will, there is a part of effective praying that requires us to verbalize the will of God as to the situation. Now, this is something that a lot of people do not know. But... There's a, there's a set of principles operating here that have to do with this first implication. Remember how Jesus, God, Jesus in God, God, created the world. He spoke light, everything else, into existence by the power of his word, correct? Now, we're made in his image. And so he has given it to us He's delegated to us the responsibility for us to also speak his will into existence. Now, not in the same, with the same degree of, of power, of course. It's his power through us. It's not our power inherent in ourselves. His power is inherent in himself. Our power is, is 
is uh, released power, it's delegated authority, and it's power released from him through us. But our words have power. And so, there's so many different examples I can give you of this, but let me just tell you one that I use, and hopefully this will help you, in the area whenever in my body I might need healing. I want to tell you, this is what I do. I believe that the scripture declares God's will with regard to physical healing for believers. Well, let's just confine it to believers since I'm a believer. The scripture says that by his stripes we are healed. Isn't that what the Bible says? What is the verb tense of that scripture? Present. Now, (laughs) by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Some translations say we were healed. If we were healed, we are healed now. So the effect is the same. But see, when I pray for healing for my body, like right now, Lynn injured her back last week. I'm sorry, maybe shouldn't reveal that. Anyway, she's got a sore back. And now when I pray for her, I am going to declare God's will into her body over her. And I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, by the stripes of Jesus, Lynn, you are healed. And the very fact of declaring the will of God out loud over her body will be a strong contributor to getting her manifestly healed. Okay? All right. So... However we do that, there are various ways that believers do that. They speak God's will. Often they will say, Lord, I thank you that your will is for, they will state it, and then they will say, Lord, I receive that will by faith into my life right now. Right now. You know, the word pray is very interesting in the Hebrew and the Greek. kind of did a little study on it for this teaching. It's, it's a weird word because the word pray has to do with meanings that, that are the word now, N-O-W, the word now, N-O-W, <laughs> is, is intricately bound up with the word pray. And also the word may it be or let it be. Let it be. But... May it be? Let it be so? So the word pray actually has these two meanings of now and also let it happen now. And see, that is kind of a word picture of the reality of the heart of the person who prays in faith. Right? You're praying for what God wants to happen now and you are in a sense declaring or speaking forth the reality of what God's will is to be now. And you say, now. (laughs) I I sound silly to myself just speaking that word over and over again. I don't know why. But, But I don't worry about the future and I never pray, Lord Give us such and such in the future. If I'm sure of God's will, I'll say, Lord, release it now. Lord, I receive it now. There's a nowness to effective praying. It's as if you take a stand 
in the present. Did you like that? Instant replay. In the present. All right? You're taking a stand in the present. You're drawing on the, in vineyard language, the powers of the age to come, the powers of the future. You're drawing the future into the present in a breakthrough of God's kingdom. That's what effective praying is. Now, it may take some days for that to manifest because I actually believe that as we pray, as we are praying, I actually believe that God is using the resource of our prayer to create the answer. And so God... He can work instantaneously, but he more normally works through space and time. So it's going to take a little time into the future for the answer that he's creating because we're praying to come into the present and be manifestly real. You see what I'm saying? All right, this is important. This is important because it will, if you do this, it will make your praying much more effective. So I didn't get to my third principle, which the next time I teach, I will get to. <laughs> but let's, let's remember the first two. What are the first two? What's, what's the first one? Cindy, what's the first principle? Pray in the context of pre-existing entrenched evil. Pray in the context of actually the removal of pre-existent entrenched evil. So pray for the negative to be gone and then pray for the positive to come in, right? God's will to come. So that's principle number one. Principle number two is ask according to God's specific will, will in a situation and ask for that will to come now and receive it now and declare it now. What, if you'll remember from the testimony, Lynn Cushworth, remember to the reporter who came and interviewed them about the situation... She said, God is going to get glory because this child will, in fact, be returned to the family. So she stated publicly, out loud, what the will of God was for the situation. And there was a principle that was operating through that, a spiritual principle. So as we pray for God's will to be done now, for the kingdom of God to come now into the earth, for his will to be done now, there I, I say it over and over again, but I mean it. <laughs> so there are two principles out of the three. Hey, I got two out of three, not bad. Now that would be a 667 batting average. That's not too bad. Let's stand up. <laughs> God, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, we thank you for the fact that, in, fa in fact, we are told to pray, let your kingdom come, <laughs> let your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. So, Lord, we thank you that even as Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, so we in prayer can destroy his works and pray with faith and with confidence according to the specific will of God that his will shall be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. And God, I pray that this body of believers right here would begin to pray more effectively starting today and we'd see even more of the kingdom of heaven come to earth through this church in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.